When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, I'm McCoy here, and you are listening to the Solar Panel, the Phoenix Sun Show. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Sun's Solar Panel. Uh, wow, it's been a few weeks since we've been here, Zona. I, uh, we had a recorded show a couple of weeks ago, and then we didn't do a show this past weekend. I was uh, out of town visiting uh, family and all that over the 4th of July weekend. And Brandon was in his bed, curled up under the covers and everything sick <laughs> from a non COVID head cold or, or some kind of, some kind of sickness. So we're sorry. We didn't bring you guys a show the past couple of weeks, a live show. And, but we are thrilled to be back. My name is Dave King. Uh, you can find me at Dave King NBA on Twitter. I'm joined here with my regular podcast partner, Brandon. How's it going, man? Good. Good to be back. Uh, we were just talking off air just about how the sun streak over the Lakers continues, uh, dating back to the postseason and preseason. Uh, I don't care if it's summer league, preseason, 2K, whatever. It's just great to beat the Lakers. So uh, it's a good right. way to, to cap off the Friday night. That's right. And we are joined by a special guest, Caitlin Cooper, who covers the Pacers, uh, and she puts the rest of us to shame on how much she knows about the game of basketball and how little we know. And, and I just love Not it. Yet. I just love following you. No, really I do. And uh, your, your insights into the game and how, how, how teams are doing. Um, unfortunately it's being wasted on a bad Pacers team right now. So you know what not to, what doesn't, isn't supposed to look like, but uh, they uh, have got some up and coming players and uh, who knows Phoenix Suns fans may become Pacers fans West uh, pretty soon because you've already got Jalen Smith, who everyone suddenly thinks was the greatest thing since sliced bread. And you've got Tyrese Halliburton, who everybody constantly, I mean, we get more Tyrese Halliburton mentions than we do almost Devin Booker mentions in, in Suns Twitter about how, how the Suns should have drafted him. Uh, and then you may get DeAndre Ayton in the next few days. So we'll just have to, we'll, we'll talk through all of those ramifications, but if you guys had a three man group of Jalen Smith, Deandre Ayton and Tyrese Halliburton, you're going to have a ton of Suns fans watching Pacers games and following Caitlin Cooper. Caitlin, good morning. Hey, thanks for having me on again. It does feel like there's a lot of back and forth between Suns and Pacers players. The last time I was on here, we were talking about Tory Craig and Aaron holiday and Jalen Smith. So here I am back again. Yeah, unfortunately, we get we have the worst of them with Terry <laughs> Craig on our team. <laughs> How about TJ Warren too? So, oh yeah, That's well, right. there, there's Evers. a lot that both of those fan bases can commiserate about with regards oh, to man. how injuries are handled and what goes on, and trying to decipher what exactly is going on with that. Yeah, we we knew firsthand uh, uh, first about how TJ Warren's injuries seem to just compound and linger and all that. Uh, he played a total of four games since the bubble in 2020 for the Pacers in two years. Is that right? 
Yeah, I mean, the, the whole way that was kind of put out there was pretty strange. I mean, at the end of the season, Woj reports that during his timeout, he actually sustained consecutive stress fractures in that foot, and that's kind of what had kept him out. But the whole year, the Pacers just kept, every time there was an update, his scan was favorable, and he was going to be back in weeks, not months. And, like, months and months went past, and nothing <laughs> nothing happened. TJ and Zion might have been yeah. working out together. I don't know. Yeah, it, it, very similar <laughs> stories. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, and the and the folks in the chat um, have brought up some other connections that we didn't even uh, didn't even bring up yet. Uh, Benedict Matherin, who played for U of A this past year, yeah. Uh, so he's your he's your rookie, and we'll we'll talk about him a little bit here. T.J. McConnell, who's been on the team, uh, also has Arizona ties, University of Arizona ties. We unfortunately don't get any uh, pros since James Harden uh, from ASU, Arizona State, which is local in Phoenix. But we got a lot of U of A people out there in the NBA, and they all seem to go through either Phoenix or, or Indiana, it seems like. So so that's great. Um, so let's dive right in here and talk a little bit about this. The first thing everybody wants to talk about is how Jalen Smith is now a starting power forward in the NBA. Um, and Caitlin, I, I've talked to you a little bit about this at midseason after a couple uh, after a couple of games on this show about how Jalen Smith uh, was doing in his first few games in Indiana. And um, I'd like to get an update from you. Um, do you see him as, you know, uh, give us your scouting report on Jalen Smith as an NBA player? Yeah, that came up as a bit of a surprise to me when he was introduced that that he was staying and that he was announced flat out as the starting power forward. Um yeah, I mean, I think that was in part his incentive for being able to stay put was that they had offered him a bigger role and opportunity. He said multiple times that he wasn't, he was choosing his future, not instant gratification. Yeah. And that went into his decision making. But yeah, his first few games with Indiana, he was really shooting the heck out of the three ball. I mean, he was over 40% over, I think, his first seven or eight games. That kind of tapered back down a little bit as the season went on. He had dealt with a little bit of an injury stuff and it went down to about 31%, which is his career mark. But he showed quite a bit of shot versatility. Like, I, I can kind of understand it because he did do stuff out of the pick and pop. He ran into the corner off of exit screens and made some shots. Uh, and also like they were in Orlando and he made a few trailer threes, which was very surprising to me as well. So that's probably some of what Rick Carlisle's banking on. I think they're really going to have to hope that that three point percentage stays nearer to where it was when he first came over than down below, because I mean, I know that Suns fans, he doesn't do a lot off the dribble. I mean, I think he had seven attempts maybe off of multi two or two or more dribbles. I mean, it, that can be a little bit dicey as decision-making between whether he's going to face up or go to a methodical back down is somewhat up and down for him as well. But he, he impressed. I mean, they, there was there was reason for a rebuilding team to continue to want him to come back and be part of that group, especially like defensively when you compare him to Goga Batadze because Jalen during this stretch was filling in a lot at backup five because Isaiah mm -hmm. Jackson and Goga both mm -hmm. had injuries. Um, Goga cannot switch out pretty much at all. Like that was, and Jalen has his issues switching in terms of he can't play very close to the ball. Sometimes he'll give up threes. Like they played Darius Garland and they kind of got toasted in that department as well as Anthony Edwards, but he, he can stay in front better than what their other options were. So if it was just going to be a flat out decision between, you know, do you want to keep making the Goga thing try to happen or do you want to go with Jalen? That was a pretty easy choice. Now they haven't done anything with Goga yet. And then as it turned out, he was announced as the starting four. I personally see him more as a five who can occasionally yeah. play some four than a four who can occasionally play some five. But I guess we're going to find out and see how that looks. 
Yeah. I think Indiana just needs to to lie to Jalen, tell him he's going to play the four, and then get DeAndre, lie to him, tell him he's going to play the four. Exactly. And then that way they're both happy and they can play two bigs together. Exactly. <laughs> that would be funny if, if uh, DeAndre Ayton joins the Pacers and plays next to Jalen Smith. Um, it would be interesting to watch who spends more time at the quote unquote four position. So, so Caitlin, do me a f- help me out because I, I, it's funny the way you describe Jalen Smith is, is exactly the way he left Phoenix, which is he's a sneaky five in that he really, really fits the five better, but he's a little undersized. And because he can shoot a three, he looks like, gosh, he'd be a perfect four. Um, yeah, five, four, three. Um, so he, he'd be a perfect four, but he's really not a perfect four because in today's NBA, you've got to be able to switch out and defend on the perimeter, which is actually something DeAndre Ayton can do better than most. Um, and he can also trail and, and, and get the get the contest, if not the block, because he doesn't go for the big wide blocks like a lot of these guys do. Um, but but staying with Jalen Smith for a minute uh, and, and even talking uh, anybody, really. What do you see in today's NBA as an ideal five versus an ideal four? You know, what's funny is that a lot of times I think if there is a question of that, if we're even asking if somebody is a four or five in today's NBA, I think they're probably a five. Um, I think that's probably just what the default should be. I mean, I think at the four spot, it's what I said. Like, I think that you need to be able to do more with a closeout. You need to be able to show that you can get all the way to the basket. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't, I think about 5% of the time on Jalen's spot up opportunities, he got to the basket. I think that only amounted to like five total possessions when he was with the Pacers. So um, like, just as an example, they're up in Detroit. He gets a closeout against Corey Joseph and tries to take him off the dribble. And that kind of amounts into, you know, a floater, which is kind of a strange thing for a four to be trying to take a guard off the dribble instead of, you know, going into more of like a Barkley drive and backing them down to the block. Um, It was kind of curious just in general, you asked that question that, you know, Rick Carlisle didn't say he's our starting stretch for, he didn't say he's our starting four. He said he's our starting power forward. So yeah. there were a few games where, you know, he might have gotten a switch and and done something there. But a lot of times it's like, okay, you're playing the Celtics. Maybe he has a switch against Peyton Pritchard and that wasn't really going anywhere. The Pacers after Sabonis was gone really didn't have somebody that they could throw the ball into and, and have them do something physical with. And I know the post is becoming, you know, less important in the modern NBA, but in terms of also like, you having a mismatch doesn't have to be a post-up. That can also become a seal screen that helps a guard then be able to get to the rim. So I think him being a little bit more physical would help in that regard as well. Um, But I think the main difference too is at the five spot, he can do a lot more as the screener in this particular offense. Like Rick Carlisle uses a lot of two-man screening action. So I think that there will be opportunity for him to still, you know, pop above the break because he is a little bit different and that he shoots the three better above the break than in the corners. But um, I liked it when, from what I saw in Phoenix and with the Pacers, I like being able to see him as doing more as the screener than just always spacing out because defenses don't necessarily respect him as a shooter, even though he can make those shots. They are going to take extra steps off. So, Yeah, it'll be interesting uh, watching that, that development. Um, I think what we've got for sure is that Jalen Smith is an NBA player, and we knew that. Uh, we knew that in Phoenix. He just didn't. Jalen Smith's problem is that, what was it, five days or four days after they drafted Jalen Smith, they acquired Chris Paul. Um, really, when Jalen Smith's name was called on draft night uh, way back in November of 2020 because of the bubble and all that and the pandemic, um, the Suns were a 34-39 and 39 team. 
they were still based in youth and trying to establish themselves. And the drafting of Jalen Smith was seen was probably I don't know if it was a it was a it was a wild swing by James Jones because he's not really a a guy who projects forward on guys, but still it was legit because the Suns needed a big man who could they as they described today kind of be like a Jeremy Grant type. They had hoped that that uh, Jalen Smith could be more like a Jeremy Grant. He hasn't turned out to be that at all. He's turned out to be more of a Hakeem Warwick hybrid. Now for Suns fans, um. um Kalen, uh, uh, Hakeem Warwick mixed with said Sabalos kind of player where he's a little bit skinny, but he's so active that he racks up all the numbers in the minutes that he plays, but he's got his limitations and that's why he's not going to be a full-time starter. Although said, um, I think he made an all-star game at one point in his career. And so um, if Jalen Smith has that kind of career, because he is a really good garbage guy, like you're right, he finds himself, he finds ways to get in front of the basket when the guards are getting double teamed. I saw a lot of, at least on the highlights, Jalen Smith finding his finding the front of the rim basically for a quick pass, a dump pass when his guards were in trouble. Uh, so he'll be one of those guys who racks up rebounds, racks up points. I'm, I'm happy for him. I know he's an NBA player. I just don't know that he fit into the sun scheme because they want their forwards to all be switchable and he doesn't really switch that well. Um, so I'm looking, I'm, I hope he has a great career. He signed for exactly what he could sign for. Um, the Suns did not want to commit four and a half million dollars to a guy who couldn't play in their system very well. Um, the Suns handled it poorly. Obviously they should have traded him for more value, but it is what it is. And now he's gone. So let's move on to uh, a better um, a, a, a more uh, exciting topic for us anyway is what in the world is going to happen with DeAndre Ayton. Now, of course, none of us have. Do you have inside knowledge on what's going to happen, Caitlin? Do you have I mean, I will knowledge? say that over the last two days, I've had a lot of people from within the NBA community already asking me and thinking that this is a thing that could have come on and be like, are you going to be able to come on and talk about Aiton? That they've yeah. heard stuff that's circulating enough that they've already <laughs> put out feelers wanting to know what my schedule is. So I do think that there's a lot of people that think that the Pacers at the very least are in on this. The biggest question mark mm -hmm. to me is what does DeAndre Ayton want? I mean, obviously, we yeah. know he wants a max contract. He wanted that from the Suns. But yeah. in terms of how he sees himself as a player, what environment he wants to be in, does it matter that he goes to a winning team, that he you know, hopefully gets that money and is on a competitive team? Would he be willing to come to Indiana? Does he see himself as a fit with Tyrese Halliburton enough that he would look past that they're probably not going to be that competitive next year? I don't know what his motivations are. Yeah, it, what's interesting is, and Zona, do you have, do you have comments on what you think DeAndre's motivations are right now. Well, I just think he just wants respect. Uh, that's that's the main thing, and he wants a team that's going to respect him and allow him to, you know, showcase his skills and probably be more featured in the offense. Um, I'm not going to speak for him, obviously, but that's just what I would imagine after he's kind of sacrificed his role the last few years. Um, so I could see him wanting to go to a place like Indiana, where maybe he has a little more involvement in their offense and gets to play with all these, you know, shooters. They have a lot of um, great floor spacers and you have Halliburton who can feed him the rock. So uh, I think it's a good situation for him, honestly. And uh, I wouldn't blame him if, if he went there and got a better payday. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough to tell for sure, but I think his main thing is he wants to get paid. He wants to be respected and have more of a, a featured role offensively. 
Yeah, uh, Jim Rose Circus in the chat, and I'm sorry, folks, I'm, I'm getting behind on, on following the chat. We're out of practice on this. It's been like three <laughs> weeks. Jim Rose Circus in the chat, um, the famous Jim Rose from Jim Rose Circus, huge fan, great friend, love you. Um, his motivations are money, he says about DeAndre Aiden. Hello in the chat. Um, Aiden wants big money. You know, what's interesting to me is I don't know that Aiden lives and breathes for money. I think Brandon hit the nail on the head. He wants the respect. He wants to be given the respect. And he's 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 of the mindset where he wants the respect to be given to him rather than him necessarily earning it. Um, he'd much rather just have the respect handed to him. Um, he was shocked that the Suns didn't give him a five-year extension this past year. But uh, let me just take a couple of minutes to talk through the five-year extension thing. Have you guys ever heard more in the past 10 years? Have you heard more in the past 10 years or more in the past two weeks about the limitations of players being traded and moved around that are on five-year designated max extensions? Is it more in the past 10 years or more in the past two weeks? I feel like it's more in the past two weeks uh, because Vin Simmons was acquired by the New York, or excuse me, Brooklyn Nets this past year, uh, and and uh, in trade, and he's on a five-year max extension. A team that wants to build young players, young all-star level players, um, would love to have multiple guys like that. But uh, but under the CBA, the collective bargaining agreement, agreed to at least ten years ago now by the owners and the players was that no one team can acquire through trade more than one of those guys who's already on in the middle of a five-year max rookie extension. Now, there's also the same rule on the veteran extensions. You can't acquire two, you can't trade for two veteran max extensions like Devin Booker, for example. If Devin Booker was traded to another team, they that team would not be able to acquire another veteran max extension guy at the same on the same level. But it's two rookie, two veteran. You can't have two of either. Um, we never heard about these things much until this past two weeks because of what the Nets are trying to do. They've already got Ben Simmons. They want to add, well, you can't have Bam Adebayo. He's already on that five-year designated max. You can't have Devin Booker. He's already on the five-year designated max rookie one, and he will be on and has agreed to the veteran one. So Devin Booker can't be added to anybody who's been acquired either. Um, you can't do that with Donovan Mitchell either. Uh, so if if Utah wanted to get involved in this in this trade uh, to go uh, three way to the Nets, that's great. But the Nets can't accept Mitchell unless they're trading Simmons. They can't do that. They can't aggregate those two guys together. So what the long story short here is, James Jones said specifically a year ago that he did not want Aiton to be on a five year max. And what we, uh, because of that, you can't have two of them at the same time. He said it in terms of, and we interpreted it, maybe we just interpreted it this way. He said in terms of now that the Suns have Devin Booker on the five-year max, and there's also a rule you can't have more than two players on a five-year designated max. You can only have up to two, and you can only trade for one of those two. Um, James Jones was saying, basically, if we already had Devin Booker on five-year he said, I can't put DeAndre Ayton on a five-year and then hope to be able to acquire anybody I want to in the next year or two years. So that was the reasoning then. But it's also true that now DeAndre Ayton would have been completely off the table for the Nets, even though he's kind of off the table anyway because of other 
weird issues with restricted free agency. Um, he's completely, he would have been completely off the table as yet another one of those guys on a five-year. You can't trade for, so other teams trading for a five-year extension guy becomes more difficult for them. So, so anyway, uh, James Jones is playing chess, not checkers. It doesn't always work. You don't always win, but he's doing the things to not tie the sun's hands. And like the nets, their hands are tied. They cannot acquire another young all-star on a five-year max uh, who's on a five-year max because all those young all-stars are already on those five-year maxes. So now that he's got Simmons, he's, they have to wait to draft their own. They can't acquire a second one. So anyway, there's a, there's a, uh, just a, just a, a rant here. Aiden was not more tradable if he had signed his five-year max a year ago. Uh, that, that, that doesn't mean, now let's come back to the Pacers part. That doesn't mean he's not worth a max contract. It just means he they didn't want him on that designated one, and that's the only one his camp would consider a year ago. This year, it, it's not an extension. This year, if he signs a max, especially with another team, it's only four years, and it could be the max, and there's no issues with the trading. There's the base year compensation issue, uh, but there's no issues with actually adding him to another five-year max person. So the the Pacers um, are looking at acquiring him. Do you see, thanks for letting me go on that, <laughs> that diatribe there. Do you see, Caitlin, DeAndre Ayton being a max-worthy guy in, in Indiana, and how do you see him fitting in? I think that's the key word, in Indiana. So... I don't know. It would, it would make me hesitant to pay him the max contract, given that he pretty much needs to be fed at this point in time. But he's very young. And if you're on a rebuilding team, he's going to have reps to make to the freedom to make mistakes. He's going to be having the ball in his hands and, and probably allowed to do more. He's going to be higher up the food chain. But also the Pacers have not had a number one overall pick play for them. And they're probably not going to recruit one of those types of guys in in regular free agency to come and play for them. This is a very rare opportunity where they could get a guy who, in my opinion, I think that the pick and roll between Halliburton and Aiton would be magic. I think mm-hmm. that that makes a lot of sense, and I think it makes more sense for Tyrese than Miles Turner does. Because Aiton rolls to the degree that he does, Miles has mm-hmm. never rolled on more than 50% of his possessions as the screener. Tyrese really relies on his range and his floater game, doesn't put a lot of pressure on the rim. Being able to have Aiton to get downhill with, being able to have Aiton to seal into switches, that's not really stuff that Miles Turner does. So it's it's going to be more on the timeline with the rest of the people that are on this team as well. So I've, I've tossed this one around a lot, and in my opinion, I think if I'm the Pacers, I, I feel pretty good about offering him that based on what the rest of the fit of the team is and what I think Rick Carlisle is going to be able to do with him. Okay, hey, let's take a quick break and talk about our friends at DraftKings. The action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, especially over the summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom, feel the heat of the season, especially down in Arizona, like we never have before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet of up to $1,000. That's right, man, a risk-free bet of up to $1,000. You can bet on Summer League. There's a ton of summer league games over the next week and through July 17. You can start betting on baseball. You can bet on futures. You can bet on whether you think the Suns are going to win the championship with or without a KD trade. A lot of options out there. Get on DraftKings Sportsbook right now and get your best odds. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. That's promo code TBPN. PN. Make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet of up to $1,000. That's promo code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes. 
for details. But Caitlin, um, Aiton doesn't rock the rim on slam dunks on those rolls. All he does is lead the league in, in conversion percentage on, on making those rolls, but he doesn't rock the rim. Yeah, Are you that's sure all you he want does. A guy like that? <laughs> yeah, I mean there there is to be fair to that type of criticism. There was times in that Mavericks series where I did want him to play with more force in certain mm. circumstances where he does lean on finesse. But yeah, I mean that's kind of some of the same arguments that I've heard be made about Sabonis over the last few years. And when when you're top five and and points per game scored off the roll, I don't really care if you can play above the rim or not. You're just really good. So uh, we need you to be a Suns fan, but. Being an Aiton, uh, covering Aiton, if he does end up in Indiana, you'll be able to um, explain that to your folks. But from what I hear, and I, I have to admit, I haven't watched a lot of Miles Turner in the last couple of years. He's not exactly like you said. He doesn't really roll on the pick and roll for one thing. And uh, has there been criticism of him being less aggressive than fans would like him to be? Oh, Miles is probably one of the most polarizing players that I can remember in my lifetime of covering the Pacers. Everyone has an opinion about how he should be playing. Um, and it seems for him that there's always kind of a caveat. I mean, he's had a lot of different coaches in his timeline. And some of those, like with Nate McMillan, I think it wasn't all about Miles and whether he was popping or rolling. There was a lot of him working with Darren Collison, who's kind of a guy who's going to get off a screen and not get very deep. So then it was a lot of popping to two. Um, but in the minutes, even before Sabonis came over, I mean, he actually rolled less when he was starting at the five than he has the last two seasons when he started with Sabonis. Midway through the season, I don't know if Suns fans will remember when the article came out where Miles was on the record saying, you know, I'm I'm a glorified role player here. But midway through the season, the Pacers had worked. I know that they had worked very heavily with him on trying to get him to get better at, you know, using a little bit of a hop step to get out of the role quicker. And I think that that had a little bit of mixed results and that doing that, he wasn't really making contact on all of those screens. So then that was making things a little bit harder on the guards. I think in, a lot of times in general, I think we think of spacing in very uh, too much of absolute terms and that, you know, he pops or he plays on the perimeter. Therefore you're playing five out and the paint is open and people can get to the rim more. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the numbers, like if you look at the minutes when he was at solo five, and look at the rim frequencies for Karis LeVert and Malcolm Brogdon and TJ McConnell and Chris Duarte, they got to the rim less when Miles was on the floor than they did with Sabonis. And that's kind of always been the narrative. Oh, well, Sabonis is clogging the paint when he's not out there. I'm like, yes, but Sabonis is one of the best screeners in the NBA. That helps people get to the rim. He mm -hmm. also knows how to use his body around the basket. Like what I said earlier, if he doesn't get it on a post up, he'll seal that guy and help that guy get to the rim. And if you play five out with him up top, he can find cutters and, thread passes to them to get to the rim. That's not really stuff that Miles necessarily does. So yeah, you do benefit from the positioning to a certain degree, but it didn't automatically lead to um, his teammates getting to the basket more just because he was standing out there. Yeah, that's interesting. So what is your thoughts about um, Miles Turner in Phoenix? So you, I know you probably haven't watched, obviously haven't watched as much Suns as we have, but uh, you really do know the game pretty well. So I thought I'd ask you anyway. Miles Turner with Chris Paul. How do you see that that duo working? It's kind of, it's kind of like what I just said about Tyrese. I think that Chris is going to play better with a roller as well. Now, maybe if Miles is playing with Chris Paul, because I mean, and this also mm. applies to Tyrese, he's never played with a point guard the caliber of either of those two guys in his entire career. So maybe if he's playing with a guy like that, that can unlock some of it for him. But in terms of Chris being able to get to his elbow jumper. 
I think that that's going to be more open with somebody who's going to have some degree of role gravity. Cause that's kind of a thing with miles that if you watch him, like even when they were in the bubble playing the Miami heat, there's just not a lot that he does that impacts the defense. Sometimes he takes advantage of how he's being guarded and, you know, maybe he slips or whatever, but he's not providing a lot of inverse gravity to pull, you know, shooters off the corner when he does go roll or even necessarily from the perimeter. Like he shoots 33% from three at the beginning of the season. He shot the ball very well. He was seeing a few more closeouts and he has improved at attacking a closeout. He gets to the rim more often, just for example, than Jalen Smith would out of that type of stuff. But with regards to Booker, like on the surface, what I said too, is like Booker didn't get to the rim as much last season. I looked that up on cleaning the glass before we got here. Like his rim frequency was down. So in theory, you know, if Miles is out there instead of Aiton or instead of JaVel McGee or instead of Biombo, you know, maybe he does get there more often, but that didn't necessarily translate, at least statistically, for the Pacers this season. Defensively, I don't think Suns fans will be disappointed. Um, I think he is as advertised. He's never made an all-defensive team, but he's a very good pick-and-roll defender, very good rim protector, um, pretty good at communicating as well and calling out where stuff needs to be. So I, you won't see any drop-off there. I don't know that I would say he's necessarily as good as at switching um, as Aiton is, but he can do a little bit of it in, under the right circumstances. Yeah, I think that's a great synopsis there. Um, uh, Zona, what do you think about Turner and Phoenix, if that's how it yeah. worked out? I think there, there's parts to his game that seems like they'd be something James Jones would target. Um, but then there's other areas where it's like, you know, he's not a plus passer, uh, can't really screen at a high level. Not He doesn't really roll uh, to the rim like Caitlin mentioned. So there's part there's elements to his game where I'm like, yeah, I can see him fitting in with his ability to like space the floor, protect the rim, uh, you know, smart defender. Um, so in, the, in those instances, I think he would be a good fit. But then there's some areas offensively I kind of question with the Sun system currently. Um, it's kind of why I think it's going to be a three team trade and maybe they send him to Brooklyn because no one knows what Brooklyn wants to do at this point. So right. we'll just kind of see uh, if they're just going to try to keep competing or, or, if, you know, how that goes. But I think Turner to Phoenix makes sense uh, a little bit, but it's, it's not very, uh, it doesn't really move the needle if that's the only thing they're doing. So, uh, you know, I could, I could see him and him, him and Durant kind of being the four or five. Uh, but at this point, the free agency uh, market for centers is just so dry that the Suns just might be stuck with him as their starter. So. Um, well, let's just, yeah, let's just check out some boxes. So first of all, um, Miles Turner coming back for DeAndre Ayton in a sign-and-trade does work uh, with all the weird baser compensation stuff, and the Pacers are not going to be any – they're not going to worry about having been hard-capped at $157 million when they're not going to spend that much this year anyway. So those issues that the Nets have with acquiring Ayton are not the same issues with Indiana. Um, and then the Suns bringing back a Miles Turner fits salary-wise and also probably fits – holistically in that you don't want to spend $30 million on a, on a center um, if you're trying to spend your money in other ways. So that part does fit. Um, another thing to check, another box to check off big Merck in the chat is, is incensed about the Suns losing Frank Kaminsky um, guy. I, I hope you got bigger things to worry about. than that. I think you're just having fun in the chat, but um, props to you. Sorry, empathy and all that. Yes. The Suns lost Frank Kaminsky lost, Frank Kaminsky to the Atlanta Hawks, but they replaced him with Jock Landale, who everyone's going to fall in love with probably anyway, because he's got a he's got an Australian accent. How can you not? But anyway, back to uh, checking some boxes. So that trade would fit. Now, there's another option of where the Pacers would just simply 
give Aiton an offer sheet to sign. And that's where Caitlin was talking about at the beginning. We don't know if Aiton really just wants to go to Indiana, especially if a Miles Turner is still there. Um, and then we're pretty 100% sure, maybe 99% sure, that the Suns would simply match an offer sheet to Aiton because, again, the Suns only didn't want to give Aiton the five-year. An offer sheet would be, at best, a four-year. And uh, that would be okay. So you get bring Aiton back, and then you then he just got he just can't be traded. Another box to check off is that Aiton is not a linchpin to the Nets trade. It's he's really not. The Nets, um, uh, the Nets, we can you can get a deal done with the Nets by doing a three-way or or by just headlining it with Mikel, and that would eventually get done. Aiden is not the guy. If he if kills the KD trade, if Aiden if Aiden gets resolved first, that's not true. The KD trade would be just as much alive because KD wants Phoenix and only Phoenix, and almost never has a superstar not gotten what he wanted in the NBA. So uh, that's eventually going to happen. I'm I'm almost positive. Or he just stays with the Nets, and the Nets refuse to do the trade. The Nets can refuse to trade him at all, but they won't be trading him to a different team because KD is right now not even taking calls from other players on different teams, let alone um, promising to be happy on another team. And nobody wants an unhappy Kevin Durant. So um, I, I so I just want to check off those boxes. First of all, the Aiton thing, it's almost certain that the Suns would match any offer sheet. So that's why the Pacers are probably going to want to do a trade. Miles Turner is a huge upgrade over a JaVale McGee type. Right, uh, but he's he's potentially he's a downgrade from DeAndre Ayton overall, although he plays just as good a defense most likely. Um, sorry, I've got little gnats playing in front of my face because <laughs> <laughs> it's that time of year. Um, anyway, so uh, that that works. The Suns would have to probably get a draft pick or two in that trade if if you did a sign and trade. Um, and, and Miles Turner comes back to Phoenix. And I think he's kind of a good fit, actually, a good fit in Phoenix. Um, and then, of course, the KD trade is not dead. So I just wanted to make sure we check those boxes off. Um, so, Caitlin, uh, Kevin Durant. Obviously, um, I'm, I'm guessing you don't have any extra insight that Adrian Wojnarowski doesn't have on Kevin Durant's uh, designs and wishes and all that. But how would you... Um, what can we, the latest on the Kevin Durant to Phoenix chatter is simply that there isn't any chatter. Um, no one's talking about it, but we are in summer league. Have you ever had a chance to go to summer league at all? Kevin? I have not. Zona, no. you haven't gone, have you? No, I've not. I, I need to though. I think next year is the year. Yeah, I've been there several times, not in the last two or three, but that is like the melting pot of all NBA people for a week. And that's where a ton of trades get uh, put together, right? That's where a ton, because these guys are all sitting around watching basketball. They just sit next to each other in the stands. They sit next to each other. They eat together. They see each other in the hotels. Everything gets worked out that's going to get worked out or at least germinated and 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 uh, figured out um, there in Vegas. So probably the KD thing won't get resolved over the next couple of days, but it might get resolved in the next two weeks, or at least they'll have an idea of what's got to happen. Um the Woj reported recently, or maybe it was Windhorst, that it looks like the Suns have not even offered Mikel yet, Mikel Bridges, in a trade for Kevin Durant. Um, yeah, so there's smoke screens everywhere, but the Suns are basically lowballing. <laughs> Dave King is an NBA Summer League experience. No, Tim Tompkins, 
sorry. Uh, so says Jay, a buddy of ours who also uh, does the um, uh, Fan of the Flames podcast. We, we've been to Summer League together, and it is an experience. Uh, but there are people who have had more wild experiences than I. That's all I'm going to say. But anyway, um, the... <laughs> I'm digressing here. The Kevin Durant thing is is there's a lot of smoke screens going around, but likely the Suns are low balling and the Nets are high balling right now, and they've got to eventually find the middle. We don't know when everyone is going to uh, decide to settle. It could be could be a little while. Uh, Caitlin, do you have thoughts about Kevin Durant of superstar mentality of just being able to decide for you before your new contract even? starts that you can just decide you're going to be traded into where do you have thoughts on that i mean i I think that that's probably going to be something that comes up heavily when the new cba is uh negotiated i don't think that the small market teams are probably pretty big fans of the fact that you know more and more free agency is kind of disappearing and it's just becoming sign for your money now ask out later um I, I don't think that that's necessarily ideal for the NBA. I am in support of players being able to make their own decisions and having their own reasons for their own lives and where they want to go and play. But um, being able, I, I don't think it's a completely equal playing field because let's be honest. I mean, not that Phoenix is a big market, but Kevin Durant's never forcing his way to Indiana. Like he's not, he's not going to say, oh, the only place I want to go is the Indiana Pacers. But in reverse, you know, if the Pacers do pay, you know, and I'm, Again, not saying this is going to happen, but when they do pay Tyrese Halliburton, you know, it, it seems, mm-hmm. you know, possible that a guy of that caliber might, after a few years of that extension, be like, oh, you know, I don't actually want to be here type of stuff. So I think that it's highly less than ideal. Yeah, I, I agree. And unless it's my team that's benefiting from it. Um, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but it's new for us, though. Like, this is not something, uh, I mean, obviously, Chris Paul, like that, that happened and that kind of caught people off guard, just given where the Suns were. the previous decade uh, that he wanted to come play in Phoenix. And now it's kind of leapfrogged into Durant this quickly. And yeah, it's very new to us. Uh, I don't think it's, I agree though. It's, it's not a, not a good look or level playing field, but um, you know, it's about time, hopefully knock on wood, if this thing gets done, that it's, it's uh, as long my, as the gravity goes to Phoenix, it, we're okay so. with it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> May not be level, but after, as long as the ball after this trade, it. they should definitely do something about it. <laughs> well, actually, the sun should just be exempt from all that. They should fix it as long as it's not to Phoenix, because, you know, after this trade, then you got to replace Chris Paul with somebody else who insists on coming to Phoenix. Um, so, yeah, this is uh, the Phoenix. We are not used to this. Right. Even way back in 93, um, the Charles Barkley didn't pick Phoenix. He just got he said he wanted to be traded out of Philadelphia. And they, they sent him to Phoenix. Um, the the guys who picked Phoenix really is, is um, well, Steve Nash just needed wanted actually to get respect because Mark Cuban was uh, lowballing him on an extension in Dallas. I mean, shoot, this is kind of unheard of. Then you know, all of a sudden, you got Chris Paul saying, I want to play with Devin Booker. And now you got Kevin Durant saying, I want to play with Devin Booker. D- Brandon, did you see and did you have any idea Devin Booker would be this influential among players? I mean, the guy hardly ever speaks. I knew he had pool like early on in his career, just with some of the quotes we were getting from other stars and, you know, like whether it was Kobe or, you know, Durant saying back when he's okay on OKC, he was like, we wanted book uh, stuff like that. But it's kind of snowballed into a much larger effect than I could have imagined. So, uh, it seems like he's definitely a uh, the player's player. That's for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's definitely why um, when he gets a super max, he's he's definitely worth it because of what he can uh, what he can bring. Um, <clears throat> so, Caitlin, do you have any thoughts on on uh, Kevin Durant in Phoenix um, with uh, declining Chris Paul and and Devin Booker? Any thought? Do that does that make them a contender or the contender in the league, or are there still better teams? I mean, I don't know how Suns fans feel about it, but I feel like you have to go all in. Like, I, I heard the same reports that you did that maybe they're not putting Bridges or making him available, but I like Mikael Bridges a lot. But um, this opportunity, the timeline for the Suns is now. Like, maybe if you're to the Toronto Raptors, you're not mm-hmm. all banged up about giving up Scotty Barnes. Or, you know, if you're Boston and you just went to the NBA Finals, maybe you don't want to get in on that, make Jalen Brown available. But, you know, Chris Paul is going to be 38. Devin Booker's times now, you don't know what's going to happen with Aiton. I'm guessing mm-hmm. he's not on the team next year. But if you cheap out and you don't want to put all your assets out there and you don't get Kevin Durant and Aiton is gone and Chris Paul's 38, how does Devin Booker feel in a year or two years? I mean, I know that he did just sign the extension, but given the conversation that we just had a few minutes ago, um, I think that when a, when a player of Kevin Durant's caliber yeah. actually is putting it out there that he wants to play for your franchise, you do what you do. You have to do to get that done. That's my opinion. And and something that Brandon touched on earlier is actually a really good point when he talked about, you know, if Kevin Durant and Miles Turner are the four or five, something that that would do if that were to come into being is Miles has never really been defended consistently by fives. A lot of people don't know this, but even before Sabonis came over, Thad was starting at the four. And if they went to a team like they went to Philadelphia and played that night, Joel Embiid would just sag off with Thad. Miles wasn't putting Joel Embiid into space. Or if they went to Utah, Rudy Gobert would just guard Thad. And then Boyan Bogdanovich would guard Miles because he's not going to do a lot in the post. So if you have Kevin Durant out there, Miles is going to be guarded by fives every night. You're not putting a five on Kevin Durant in most circumstances. So um, you have that. And then also like another thing that's that to true. draw back with Miles is, is the rebounding is a thing. So because Phoenix plays a lot of, you know, wings at the four spot, that could be a little bit dicey. Like just as an example, when they were in the bubble, at TJ Warren was starting at the four. Mm-hmm. The Pacers gave up the highest offensive rebounding opponent, offensive rebounding rate in the playoffs. And I think in those eight seeding games, because of what the rebounding issues were, if Kevin Durant's at the four, that's again, that's a little bit different. So, um, and then if you had some defensive issues because Mikel Bridges isn't there anymore, you do have miles out there as a rim protector and you would have Kevin Durant coming over. So I think that that would make a lot of sense. And I don't know exactly what the sign and trade machinations would have to be, but I kind of assume that Chris Duarte might be headed that way as well. If you had Chris Duarte, I think he would fit into that Phoenix Sun system fantastically. And just as a side note, um, I would be very sad to give up Chris Duarte, but Kevin Durant loves Chris Duarte. When he was asked about who his favorite rookies are, he said Scotty Barnes and Chris Duarte. Did he really? Yes. So if you had him out there and then like you're running Spain pick and rolls, you have, you can run Chris as as your, you know, back screener. He can do a lot of that type of stuff. And, you know, he, he guarded a lot of better assignments last year. So he looked very good in summer league last night too, as well. So. That's right. He's playing this year. I I love Duarte. I I watch a lot of Pac-12 basketball. So he was kind of my sleeper pick, uh, heading into that that year's draft uh, and he really broke out and it's good to see him killing it in Indiana I think uh, if the Suns could get him back in any type of sign and trade that'd be a win he'd, he'd fit in their system uh, like a glove so I'm all for that that idea but the rebounding point with Turner is a great point because the Suns already struggle with rebounding so that's that's my biggest concern if he ends up as their starting center yeah because he's not a great rebounder that's yeah um, so that'd be interesting. We'll we'll see how it all shakes out. It still could be that Aiton goes to Utah, although Utah seems to have been cooled off a little bit. 
but mostly I think that's because they don't, they're not sure they want to give up Deon, uh, Donovan Mitchell yet in a three-way with the Nets in them. Uh, so we'll just see how that shakes out. We'll see how the Aiton to Indiana thing shakes out. We don't know Aiton's motivations, like you say, Caitlin. We don't know if Aiden just wants to outright sign with it. Now, I thought it was interesting that Jalen Smith in the press conference, I watched that press conference with the, with the Pacers, and mm-hmm. he basically said he chose – to be he's smiling now for the first time in a while and he chose the opportunity on the pacers over the instant gratification of a little bit more money from uh you know some other maybe a contender or something like that everyone knows the pacers are are going into a rebuilding type mode where they're going to be winning on effort more than talent um so jalen smith chose the role basically he chose the role over a winning team and he actually was unhappy being on as a young guy who should you want your role you want a chance to play uh, and he wasn't just naturally happy about be, sitting riding the bench for uh you know a contender so i wonder what aiden's motivations are having been on the contender for a couple of years would he rather just get the biggest role possible in his next job uh, next team or does he really want to prioritize winning um, i think the younger the younger guys want to establish themselves first before they win um, if they had to choose. And so I wonder, but I, we just don't know. Nobody's talked to Aiden. So we'll find out. Um, he, he has hinted that he wants to come back to Phoenix, but he wants the money. Um, and and uh, people say money is important to Aiden. It is. But I mean, the dude would rather just walk on the beach if he had a chance. So I don't know that money is like the end all beat all. But I think the respect that comes with the money is and the role and the feature um, being handed the featured role in an offense would be important for him. So we'll just see, have to see how all this shakes out. Uh, my prediction, and I'm, I'm going to ask you guys for percentage predictions here. First of all, percentage prediction that DeAndre Aiden is wearing a Pacers uniform next year. Caitlin. 51%. 51%. Okay. Brandon. Percentage prediction he's on the Pacers. I will go 60%. 60. Okay. Um, I'm going to stay probably in the 60, 70 range. I think that's probably going to happen um, because there's just so so much more momentum to it. I think it's almost certainly going to be a sign and trade and the, and the biggest possible, you know, return is, is going to be Miles Turner who fits into that. Um, it'll be real interesting to see how it shakes out. I think there's about a 1% chance he just goes to the Pacers on an offer sheet and the Suns don't sign. So I think I think it's got to be that sign and trade. Um, next percentage chance, and then we'll let you go, Caitlin. Thank you for staying so long with us today. A percentage chance that Kevin Durant is in a Suns uniform next year. Caitlin. Ooh. I, I, I'll go 60 on that one. 60. Okay. Zona? I'll go 75. I'm, I'm pretty A lot of confidence there. Yeah. Well, I co- our confidence, and, and I'm going to say around 75 as well, because our confidence is that Kevin Durant um, it, it can force this. That's the thing, is is that, that players ultimately can force these things because they'll tell these other teams they're not going to commit, and these other teams are not going to give up huge assets without a commitment from Durant that he's not going to want to be traded next year. Um, so I do think that's going to happen because Durant's going to force it and the Nets are going to get a little bit less value than they wanted. Um, they're posturing right now saying, oh, you want us to trade you, Kevin? Well, we need two all-stars and picks. 
Okay, yeah, no one's going to have that. No one's going to trade that. Um, so, yeah, I think it's about 75%. All right. Thank you so much, Caitlin. Uh, folks in the chat, 99%, 75%, 40 Yeah, it's all over the board. None of us. <laughs> um, thank you so much for joining us. Tell us where we can find you around the web. Right. So my handle's there on the screen, and then I write at Indie Cornrows two times a week, and we also have a podcast that comes out biweekly as well. All right. So Suns fans, when, when DeAndre Aiden and Jalen Smith and Tyrese Halliburton are all starting for Indiana – um, you guys can, we can, we can be, uh, Indiana can be our second favorite team. Thank you so much just, for joining uh, us. Today. Just do me a favor. If, uh, Deandre ends up there that everyone spells it with a lowercase a and not a capitalized a that, that is a tough one. There's times <laughs> where I want to get that in there. I'm like, no resist. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We appreciate All right. it. Thanks for joining thanks, us. Thanks for having me. See you guys. Yep. See ya. All right. Uh, we have another half of the show. Don't go anywhere folks. Um, Zona, do you have any final thoughts on Durant to Phoenix uh, that we haven't covered yet? Yeah, I think if if nothing gets done in the next seven to ten days, because what is it? The seventeenth is when the summer league ends. Uh, then I think we're going to start to see this thing really drag out closer to preseason, which is less than ideal because Suns Twitter is already losing their mind uh, slowly by the day. So uh, this thing hopefully gets resol- resolved in summer league, but if not, I could see it going on for much longer than we'd like. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. If it doesn't get done in the next week, you're right. We're probably talking about pre-training camp, unfortunately. Um, Okay. So, and we can talk over time about the motivations of letting it drag out. I mean, geez, uh, do the Nets and the Suns really want to just sit their team, you know, sit on their hands for months? Um, and not and the rest of the league is teams. frozen too. So it's and the rest of the league is frozen waiting for this too. So we'll see if the rest of the league starts easing up and like doing their tra- the rest of their transactions, then we'll know everybody has agreed that it's gonna, it's going to be training camp and the Suns and and that's a good thing about the Suns and the Nets is they're both in good shape if they go into next season as they are without changes. Um, the Nets did sign some guys. They, they, they do still have Kyrie and Kevin Durant. They still could talk themselves into championships and all that. Uh, and so could the Suns. But we're going to move on. As Dan Allred says, he's our guy on bright side who covers the, the, the young guys. And unfortunately for Dan, <laughs> he has previewed at least 60 prospects the Suns could draft in the last two drafts when the Suns have not made a draft pick. So I feel real bad for the guy. Now, though, we have Summer League and we have new signings. Um, let's talk summer league first. Okay. And then we're going to talk about the guys the Suns signed in the past week to, to fill out the back end of their bench and the guys who left as well. Uh, but let's talk about summer league first. Friday night, the Suns won by 20 points and they didn't have a single guy on that team who is a prospect, uh, a prospect that the Suns want to groom for next year. And yet they look better than any any of the summer league teams we've seen recently? Did you get a chance to watch the summer league game at all, Brandon? I did, and it was a pleasant surprise. Uh, I guess I shouldn't be so surprised because you just look at the age of uh, the average age of this team, and it's it's by far the oldest summer league roster I could ever uh, remember. And uh, they have a lot of seasoned vets and, and pros, and we'll call it eclectic. Uh, yes, <laughs> so. <laughs> McKinley Wright is awesome. Um, Ish Wainwright looked great. Uh, you know, hitting threes off like movement 
mm-hmm. coming off a pin down screen and just, you know, draining that four point play. Um, you know, just as a collective whole, they looked locked in and it looked like the same sun system carried over, uh, not, not the Maverick series Suns, but just uh, the regular season Suns carried it right over into that that summer league game. It's fun to watch. Hey, it's nice being able to talk about a Suns win. It's been uh, um, months. Yeah, King, King was able- awesome. King is a bucket, too. I forgot to mention him. That, <coughs> last year's summer league MVP. Oh, that's right, Lewis King. Um, summer league championship game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, Lewis King was good. He's got skills. He reminds me kind of like a, a Derek Jones Jr. in that he, he's got a lot of athletic talent, but not a ton of, of being able to score talent um, at the, at the, at the big league level. If he can make threes on a regular basis, if he can uh, like make smart plays on a regular basis, he can be definitely an NBA rotation player. Um, uh, McKinley, um, uh, he looks good. He's just got some size issues. He's what five eleven. He's he's pretty skinny, uh, but he definitely looked good, and uh, he he could be a player that could be you know you'd want to sign to a two way. But I really want to focus right now on there was a lot of guys who showed out. They're all good players, but they're not necessarily roster guys. Um, but there were some. There the one guy I really want to focus on is Ish Wainwright. If he can develop into a what i was thinking like i wrote up a uh summer league all-stars article yesterday for bright side of the sun and when i got to pj tucker and i started thinking about that and do looking up his history ish wainwright is not that far off of a pj tucker and what did pj tucker do he turned a 27 year old summer league in invite to summer, you know, to summer league in 2012 for the Suns with Danny Dan Marley as the as a summer league head coach, Ish Wainwright turned that, or excuse me, PJ Tucker turned that into last time he had hair, by the way, uh, PJ Tucker turned that into a contract with the Suns, and since then, guess how much? Uh, by the time he's done with his next contract, how much money do you think PJ Tucker will have earned after the age of 27 in the NBA after having not been in the NBA for five straight years? Got to be close to 100 mil at this point. 90 million dollars. So he just he's made 60 million in the eight years since, and he's gonna make another 33. That's crazy. Uh, that dude has made a hell of a career out of out of nothing. He came back from Germany from playing overseas for five straight years. Finally, just did a summer league with the Suns and earned a spot, and he hasn't let it go since. Now. Is Ish the same player as PJ? Not really. PJ was great on perimeter defense and one-on-one defense. Ish has not really shown that yet. He hasn't really shown a whole lot, but what he did show is he can make threes. And if he can continue to make threes at that level, he's going to have a great second half of his, you know, his, his athleticism career basically for NBA level. Um, but I really need to see him step up on the defensive end. He really has not shown out on the defensive end. Uh, but I am looking forward to the Suns actually signing him. The thing with with uh, with Ish Wainwright is that he is an unrestricted free agent right now. He can sign with anybody. So it makes you wonder why the Suns haven't signed him to the veteran minimum. They signed four other veteran minimum guys in the past week. Why do you think they haven't signed Dish? Do you have any thoughts, Brandon? I might just be waiting for the, the dust to settle from the KD trade. Um, 
Uh, not sure. Maybe they just want to see Sanchez or other guys, and they still have roster spots. That is true. Uh, maybe they just want to see wanted to see more from him before guaranteeing him, him a spot. Um, I think there's still a lot of dominoes to fall, and I would like to imagine there's a plan or a reason behind it. But um, but yeah, I think they just want him to go out there and earn a roster spot. And you know that at the same time that could backfire. Maybe another team sees what he's doing and wants to snag him from the Suns. Um, but who knows? I think it's, he wants to be in Phoenix. That's the main thing. It, it kind of reminds me of campaign uh, last uh, offseason. Just like this is the team that gave me my first chance. I want to stay here. Um, so I could see him wanting to be in Phoenix and returning. But, yeah, it is interesting that they haven't signed him yet. Yeah, so we'll see what happens with that. I'm hoping the Suns don't lose him just because he is such a great team player. He does fit in with the Suns culture really well. Um, so, uh, that'd be nice to see him signed. Let's talk about the other four guys that the Suns did acquire or sign at least in the past week. First one I want to talk about Bismack Biombo. The Suns re-signed him for a veteran minimum. That's a guy who was making $17 million a year until recently because he got signed in the summer of 16, the, the flush summer of 16. Um, and he was making $17 million a year. Now he's working for veteran minimums. He loves being on the Suns. He loves being in this organization. What do you think about Bismack coming back? I mean, it was necessary. Uh, with JaVale gone, uh, mm. you know, Frank, obviously was that happened after. But, you know, he, we all kind of knew that the writing was on the wall there. And the whole DeAndre situation, you needed uh, some big man depth and hopefully – um, put this in the, the show notes, but I, hopefully he's back as a backup center. Um, as much as I love Bismack, um, if you're counting on him to be your starting center, then then you're in trouble. Um, and but overall, I think you know just his his hustle and just the way he played. I'll never forget that uh, game against the was it the Hornets? Uh, was his, that was his first game, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was a very fun one. But uh, sixteen points, and yep. I mean that was just out of the blue, man. That that whole December of backup centers was just crazy. <laughs> I mean, yeah. this seems like two years ago, but it was just really? this past past December when DeAndre Ayton and Javale McGee both got COVID and they were out for a couple of weeks, and the Suns were Jaylen mixing Smith and matching. Jalen Smith became an NBA player. Bismack yep. signed off the street and gets a sixteen and eight in his first game. JaVale with the 19 and 15 game. I mean, it's just crazy. And that that's even after Frank was, was great earlier in the year until he got a stress fracture. Um, yeah, that's, it's just, it's nuts how, how, how great those centers looked in those limited roles of pick of, you know, finishing on the role and all that stuff mm-hmm. in the, in the limited um, uh, role that a center has, those guys did pretty well. Um, yeah. So let's, let's talk about really quick um, Frank, Kaminsky signed with Atlanta on a veterans minimum um, for guys who have, who the Suns have lost since the end of the year. Aaron Holiday also signed with Atlanta on a one-year veteran minimum. And JaVale McGee went to the Dallas Mavericks for $7 million a year for three years. That's why the Suns didn't re-sign. He wanted to come back to the Suns if the money yeah. was right. I'm perfectly right? fine. These guys eventually I'm letting him walk money. for that. Good for him, though, getting that back. Yeah, you don't want the Suns doing seven million a year for, for three years, and the Suns couldn't even do that. I mean, the 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 max they could do is the taxpayer mid level exception, which is six point four, and uh, that wouldn't have added up to the same money. And plus, they didn't want to sign him for 
into his late 30s. They've already got some guys in their late 30s they want. So um, JaVale McGee, sorry to lose him. Frank was great off the bench, but man, he, he he's replaceable, guys. I mean, let's not let's not talk about losing Frank as like the end of the world. Um, in Frank's place, it looks like the Suns have acquired a guy named Jock Landale. Have you heard of Jock Landale, Brandon? And how much do you know about this guy? Yeah, uh, going back to his college days, he was a, a stud at St. Mary's. You know, just way too good for college and was there for way too long. It felt like. Um, but ended up playing for uh, Australia's national team, just heading to the Olympics, was a, a key player for them, and um, obviously had some limited time with the, the Spurs and uh, got dealt over to the Hawks and Suns saw an opportunity and wanted in. Uh, I think he makes sense in the Suns system. He can shoot it, um, has size, it's pretty athletic too. Like he can get up and finish over people and, and you know put you on a poster if you're, you're not paying attention for a second. Um, Decent passer too, so you know he's he's not someone that's really gonna blow anyone away, but he'll probably play, you know, 10, 15 minutes and be serviceable and fit into what, what the Suns like to do. Um, the perfect Frank Dario role, right? Exactly. And, and yeah, a connector. Just looking at the center position and free agency right now too. There's there's really nothing. The the cupboards are so bare. It's it's you know Thomas Bryant was a guy that I wouldn't mind them taking a yeah. swing on, but obviously he went to L.A. So. Um, you know, there's really no starting center, starting caliber centers left. That's why I think this whole eight and miles Turner thing is, is interesting. Just, um, and the sun's depth rotation, uh, with the bigs with Dario, um, jock and, and Bismack, you know, I think they're all serviceable, but they're not, you don't want any of those guys starting. I, I wouldn't think for, if you're a contender. So, um, yeah, this, this whole eight in situation, is probably their only way they're going to find a starting center um, mm -hmm. through a sign and trade at this point. So that's, that's what I'm looking at. Yeah. You could be thinking about Dario as the starting center for next year, but um, Gerald Borgay just caught up with Dario yesterday at summer league uh, in, in Vegas. And Dario said he's still just barely now doing contact against other assistant coaches. Um, so, and this is the first time he's, he's, he's done any contact. Um, uh, he's, he's been playing one on zero, if anything, in the past year since he tore that ACL and he had a little bit of a setback last month. He's gotten over that setback. He is back on his rehab schedule, but he's still just hoping to ramp up and be able to be available for training camp. So you can't rely on Dario Sharge being fully healthy at the beginning of the season. He's still going to be working his way back. Um, having Bismack back in there you can at least have Bismack as your starter if you had to uh for 15 20 minutes a game the Raptors won a championship with that in 2019 with Bismack as a starter um so but he, obviously uh that would be a break glass in case of emergency situation uh we'll see what like you said on the trade of Aiden whether the Suns get any kind of center back for that um if Aiden went to Utah Utah doesn't have any centers left by the way, um, they would be sending back someone like a Bogdan Bogdanovich, um, Boyan, excuse me, Boyan Bogdanovich. Um, so the Suns would get another wing, but they'd be short on center. So <clears throat> we'll see what happens with the Aiden situation. But Bismack and Jock Landale are now in that center rotation with Dario. Assuming Dario survives the KD trade, he might be a perfect inclusion point on a KD trade. So we don't even know if Dario will be back here. Um, the other two guys the Suns signed are guards that would be 
what I thought was interesting is they signed Josh Okoge, who was a first-round pick in 2018. He played with Minnesota his first four years, but they non-tendered him. They let him go and made him unrestricted this year. And Damian Lee, who's a little bit older. So Josh Okoge is only 23 still. Damian Lee is like 29. He played for the Golden State Warriors off their bench. They're both 6'4", 6'5". They both um, would only back up Devin Booker. And the Suns already have Landry Shamit under contract behind Devin Booker. Con- Devin Booker under contract for seven years, six years from now. Landry Shamit's under contract for up to four, minimum two. So why do you think the Suns, Brandon, would sign? Let me do the what's the what's the um, uh, the meme from Windhorse? Why do you think that is? <laughs> why would the Suns they do that? sign two six four guys who can't hold? Can't handle the rock, can barely score, can score. Well, one can score, one cannot. They can't play any other position than Landry Shaman and Devin Booker positions. They're not big enough for forward, although Josh Kogi was considered a forward because he's kind of, he's got some size and he's got some wingspan, but still, 6'4, six, 6'5. Six, Why do you think the Suns did that, sign those two guys? Well, for, for starters, if you have. Um, for, we'll start with the Kogi. I think he makes a lot of sense defensively, especially just um, when you have a team with Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and, and Kevin Durant. Offense is not going to be the issue. So defensively, you're going to need a point of attack defender that can wreak havoc. And I think he's he's one of the best uh, at what he does defensively. Um, but then on, on the flip side, offensively, he's uh, – I wouldn't even say a zero. He's a negative at this point. Just he can't shoot. Uh, can't really finish. He's athletic, so that's that's something in transition he can get out and you know throw throw some dunks down. But outside of that, offensively, he's very unpolished, and you just kind of have to accept that with uh, you know w- what he brings defensively. So if you can lean into that and just you know use him as like an identity piece that comes in for five to ten minutes just to stir things up, then I think he's fine in that capacity. But um, uh, move on to Damian Lee. He's just someone that's been a rotation player for the Warriors for many years now. He's not anything special. Um, he's just kind of a, what I would say is like a decent floor spacer, um, you know, plus free throw shooter, smart player. And I think will fit into like what the Suns like to do, but he's not going to go out there and do anything too much outside of himself. So uh, just a couple of like rotation players that have roles that they plug into right away. And, you know, trading for Durant's going to take, you know, probably four or five players along with like four or five picks. So uh, just getting that depth there just um, before the free, free agency market completely dries out was probably the thought process, which uh, it doesn't take a genius to figure that out. But but yeah, I think uh, not super huge on either of the signings, but Kogi's defense is something that uh, piques my interest a little bit. Yeah, I just I just thought it was in. I, I, they're obviously um... – playable players, right? So a couple of years ago, the Suns uh, signed Langston Galloway and um, Etwan Moore, who were basically the same thing, um, backup shooting guards, right? Even, they were even, they were a little shorter and they couldn't play any defense. So Josh Okoge and Damian Lee, I think, are an upgrade over that pair. And they and those weren't point guards either. So the Suns have done this before. I just thought it was really interesting because two years ago, the Suns didn't have a Landry Shaman at $10 million backing up of Devin Booker. So I'm not the biggest Landry Shamit fan. So maybe I'm trying to create a conspiracy that isn't there, 
but I think this portends that Shamit is likely to be included in a trade. His his contract yeah. is extremely tradable. He makes ten million dollars a year for the next two years, but then he is on um, uh, non guaranteed, and um, he is playable in a rotation. Um, but he's he's not like gonna set the world on fire, and he's got that perfect size contract when you're doing building blocks. Like, for example, acquiring Kevin Durant. You have to get to $44 million in matching contracts if you're not including Aiden. Guess what? You've got to include Mikel because he's the second highest, uh, second, uh, the, the highest paid available player. Mikel makes $21 million. There's $21. You add in a Landry Shamit, now all of a sudden you're into the 30s, and you really only have to do 75% matching, and I think the Nets are going to be happy with the 75% matching. So now you really only have to get 33 million so if you can get them to take a shamit and a, and a, probably they'll have to include cam johnson in this deal i hope they don't have to include both mikhail and cam johnson that all of a sudden you're at the kd match and you just include draft picks and you can go but i do think they're making they're gonna they're gonna be wanting to include a landry shamit um in a deal somehow this summer and i'm not that disappointed in there yeah one really thing I'll add on to like the whole center situation. If like, let's say DeAndre, like however that shakes out, they don't get a starting center back from that trade. Um, and in the KD trade, like they don't get a center, then I think one way they can kind of get sneaky here. And I've, I've been looking at other centers, like salaries just for this reason, but maybe trade Shamit or Jay Crowder and attach a future pick or something to like a rebuilding team uh, mm. for, for a center. So I've been kind of looking around seeing who would, uh, mm-hmm. fit that, but obviously that would the happen. Spurs. Yeah, exactly. So there, there's a few teams I think that would fit. The Spurs that have Jakob Pertle, and it just came out yesterday that uh, what we've known the whole time that uh, the Spurs are willing to trade away the rest of their vets because they're going for draft picks. Once they yep. traded Dejounte Murray for draft picks, you knew they were willing to trade everybody. And Jakob Pertle was a great fill-in starting center. Yeah, and guess who helped develop and coach him in uh, at nine oh five was your, their their new assistant coach, uh, Mr. Matumbo. So ah, I, think, I think it makes yeah it makes a lot of sense uh, to target someone like that if uh, they end up with zero centers from Aiden and Durant trades. Um, but yeah, I think Shamit or Crowder are two names to watch just in terms of making a, a smaller trade like that. So. Mm-hmm. We'll see. I think there's going to be a lot of roster turnover, which is the opposite of last offseason. So, um, continuity, RIP. RIP. Yeah, so uh, let's let's do this bold prediction. Of the nine guys that are under contract and still currently with the team, plus EA, that makes 10. Okay, so you've got your base, your main rotation guys. They're all still under contract and on the team. DeAndre Ayton, restricted free agent. Of those 10 guys, so you're talking the full starting lineup and basically your full second unit. Of those 10 guys, how many come back? Asking in the chat, too. Give us your answers in the chat. Of the top 10, do you want me to list off the top 10 so you know which which guys you're yeah, talking yeah. about? Yeah, that's important. Okay. Because it, there could be right. some <clears throat> Top 10, Devin Booker, yep. Chris Paul, Mikel Bridges, Jay Crowder, Landry Shannon, Dario Saric, Cameron Payne, Cam Johnson, Tory Craig. Those are the nine currently under contract. So you've got your four of your starters, because DeAndre Ayton is a restricted free agent. He's your 10th. 
So your full starting lineup, let's include Aiton in this, and then almost your entire main backups with Shamit, Sharich, Payne, and Cam Johnson, uh, and Torrey Craig. Okay, so you basically got your your two deep on the on the three by five cards. Okay, of those ten, how many come back next year? I'm gonna say five. You say five. Woo. I could even yeah, see it being four. Honestly, Kevin Durant trade goes through. I think you're definitely right. It's five. Um, wow. So five. So uh, see Michelle Duenas. I wonder who that could be. Um, that's a six. Six coming back. Fabio says six or seven. Sunders Dunks says five, six max. Um, Big Perk says six. Coach Fallen Founder says four. Wow. Okay, Coach. Um, I think I think they're going to not go below five. My Holy King says five. My Holy King, I think, is a Nets fan because you've been talking about the trade the whole time. Um, yeah, this is great. I think definitely the Suns will be making some changes every year. Every NBA team turns over 40% of their roster. That's just the way contracts go. The Suns have, a, have an unusual number of guys still under contract with nine. Nine of their top ten in the rotation. DeAndre Ayton being restricted. They could bring back the whole squad. It could be that the Suns just match an offer, and then they just wait out the Durant thing, and the Durant thing never happens, and you bring back six, seven, eight, nine of those guys. But I believe the Suns are probably going to be in the five to seven range. I'll, I'll do a bold prediction of six comebacks. Six of those come back. Um, to your point, Ted Rubin quick, says three. Go ahead. I think uh, if Durant, if the Durant trade doesn't happen, then running it back is their best option at this point yeah. of the offseason because it, they're still you're, a you're just you're going to get worse if you try to do anything else mm-hmm. because you're not going to find there's no one else like Durant that's going to move the needle that's available. Um, so if you want to end up with like Miles Turner and like Harrison Barnes or something, that that's I don't know. That's there's very limited options. So it's probably an unpopular opinion, but unless you're getting Durant, running it back is the next best thing you could do, which is kind of depressing. Uh, but it's the reality. So that's that's why I'm all in on Durant. I think they they will get it done. Uh, it's just a matter of negotiation at this point. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, that is that is interesting. But you know what? You only got my holy king. You only got your team if you can get Kevin Durant, a yes. committed Kevin Durant. The Nets got it. Every team has has done whatever it took to get Kevin Durant. The only team that got him for free was the godforsaken Golden State Warriors in that summer, where they were able to keep everybody and bring out bring back Kevin Durant, bring in Kevin Durant. And the only guy they had to lose was Andre Iguodala. Boo hoo. Um, so that won't happen again, but it might actually, when the next DVD comes out, we might see a huge spike in the cap again. Uh, and, and that'll be interesting to watch. Okay. We are, um, over an hour and 10 minutes in, let's go ahead and start wrapping this up. Um, uh, we already did some bold predictions on how many roster players are going to come back this year. We did our percentages on whether DeAndre Aiden's going to be a pacer and whether Kevin Brandt's going to be a son. Um, what do you, what's your final bold prediction your final thought that you wanted to share any other any final thoughts um july 15th kevin durant will be a phoenix son by july 15th so today is the ninth so you think by the end of next week kevin durant is a son yes that is my prediction and if it doesn't happen 
by next week, it's going to be a training camp deal, which will suck. Yeah, it doesn't happen by the end of the next week. We got the summer to wait it out. That's true because teams can teams can uh, just go on vacation. Um, so why that date, Sonny Cortez, is because that's toward the end of summer league uh, when when um, all these management people decide they're, they're you know they're going to go back home and then everyone starts taking vacation for the next couple of months. Um, okay, so my final bold prediction. I'm gonna. This is gonna be wild, and I don't think it's gonna end up true. But I'm still a huge fan of DeAndre Aiden. I think the Suns keep DeAndre Aiden. That's my bold wow. prediction. DeAndre Aiden, and it probably ends up in the Suns are 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 playing a game of you know um, who blinks first on the offer sheet from the Pacers. The Pacers do get their cap space today. Or it becomes clear tomorrow. I'm not really sure. But the finalized the trade of Malcolm Brogdon to the Celtics, which clears up all their cap space to do an offer sheet, gets finalized today at some point. At that point, the Pacers will have the cap space. The Suns don't like the what's being offered necessarily, I don't think, from the Pacers, or there would have been a sign-and-trade already. Um, the Pacers will make an offer sheet, and the Suns will match it. And then they can't trade DA until at least December 15th. That's my bold prediction. DA is with the Suns to start the season. I also think Kevin Durant joins the team. So you think they'll have Ian and Durant? Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely incredible. If their relationship is salvageable, then that's best case scenario. But I just, I don't know. I think any relationship with DA is salvageable. Everybody loves him. Bismack Biombo just said yesterday, he thinks everybody wishes he's back. Um, I think the Suns want DA back. I think the Suns just didn't want to do the negotiation and didn't want the five years. That's it. So if if the Pacers do an offer sheet, all the thinking is over. So I, I definitely, yep, that's my bold prediction. Ayton stays. Well, Topaz, the Suns are not keeping Ayton. Keeping you are dumb. Are you in the front office with the Suns? Because that's the only way you would know this better than me. Thank you very much. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. We'll uh, see you guys again next Saturday. That's the day after Zona's bold prediction that Kevin Durant is a son. So we'll probably be talking about Kevin Durant on the Suns next week. And we'll be talking about Suns having matched a DA offer sheet. So next Saturday, we get to see if our bold predictions are true. All right, guys. Um, y'all, thank you for coming today. Really appreciate you being here. Uh, um and we'll see you again soon. If there is any breaking news during the week, I'll try to get somebody on a midweek pod. So watch out for your podcast feeds. Uh, if the we'll gets guys. traded, we have to do emergency pod. We have no, to. Do no matter where we are, we'll, we'll, we'll get it done. You know what? If Aiton goes anywhere or anything happens with Aiton at all, we may have to do an emergency pod too. Yep. So stay tuned. We'll be around. And we'll cover this team. My, my final bold prediction is that the Suns are going to be a contender next year, at least as good as they were this past year, however they end up looking. But that's an easy one. So, all right. Talk to you all later. Thank you so much for coming. Out.